Well, welcome back, everybody, to our podcast, Life's Learning Curve. I'm your host, Paul Hart. Now, here at the Life's Learning Curve podcast, we use storytelling and recollections to help us. How? Well, these stories, they move us in our lives from point A to point B. And it's how we became a better us. This happens all the time, and we seldom take the time to shake off the dust, look backward, and determine, hey, how did I get here? On today's episode, life had thrown my dad a curveball, misleading him at a young age, a trick, a deception. But you can't control the curveballs thrown at you in your life. So what you have to do is you have to learn how to change or uh, you have to learn how to adapt and sometimes very quickly so that life's curveballs don't take you too far down the wrong path. Life learning curve. A man never gets so old that he forgets what it was like being a young boy. And today, that's where we're going to begin our episode. Sebastian. Life's Learning Curve. I'm Paul Hart. Episode, The Curveball. Stand by. My dad played close to semi-pro baseball as a teenager. And I say that because there really was no uh, semi-pro system set up back then in the early 1940s. His name was Robert Paul Hart, but everybody called him Bob. For this podcast, I'll now call him Bob as well. Bob is my father. So Bob was a southpaw. He was a lefty, and he loved baseball, a pitcher. And he threw a mean, solid fastball. And like a butcher effectively uses a sharp knife, my dad also hurled a unique change-up curveball pitch. His curveball was like magic. After the ball left his throwing arm, it glided in this gradual curve toward the batter. And at the last second, that ball dropped or went right, or abruptly just went in a different direction. Straight! The umpire would blare. That pitch was a, in fact, a, a curveball, but it also was kind of a knuckleball, too. It was a mixture. Now, on top of that, Bob was as I said, left-handed, which threw off many batters. College scouts had already tracked him in high school, and after his high school senior year, Bob earned a baseball scholarship at the University of Missouri. The year was 1941, and at the age of 18, Bob, my dad, admittedly had never really been the best student. (laughs) Staying motionless without moving constantly had been a challenge most of his life hyperactivity, hyperactive, admittedly. Bob was to be the one sibling in his family that was least likely to achieve a college education. Bob was that hyper-poor kid from the town of Lily Lake, Illinois. He wondered how he would fit into a college setting. However, once at the University of Missouri, Bob gained ground. New friendships with common interests, like kind ball players, fraternity ball players, who had included Bob in pickup games almost daily after class. After just a few weeks, Bob pledged a sports fraternity on campus. This meant a lot to him. It was a band of brothers and a lot of social get-togethers, which were all new to him, and he enjoyed this. He could see his life moving forward in a positive way. Oh, those are the best times in life, right? He felt different now. Bob wasn't that uber-hyper-poor kid from Lily Lake anymore. He fit in, 
and often use sports and humor as a means to socialize and easily be accepted. Learning in class and learning how to respond in social situations now meant something to him. It had purpose. It gave Bob a reason to sit still. It gave Bob a reason to listen. Prior to college, Bob had already learned respect and compliance from his mom and admired his Uncle Paul, who took interest in Bob's life direction. His mother, Della, my grandma, was a no-nonsense widowed woman with three children to raise, and she had little tolerance for Bob's hyperness. Now, my father's father, Bob's father, died suddenly when Bob was only three years old. So... Fatherless, Bob lacked structure and seemed to be always searching, searching for mentors, good positive mentors, or or searching for a positive male role model for himself. He knew the direction he wanted to go in life, but was having a hard time getting there. Bob was always trying. He was trying to find that father figure to help show him the way. As Bob was growing up, when referring to his mom, my grandma, my dad would often reminisce only briefly, and he'd say things like, Yeah, Bob didn't have too much patience with me. She'd just as soon smack me across the head or use steel wool to clean out a skin knee than do it a gentler way. She was all business. But he never begrudged his mom for it. He told me that, Strong structure was exactly what he needed. If Ma hadn't been that way to me, I might have turned out differently, and it wouldn't have been good. Back in college, Bob never got to his first year playing ball for the University of Missouri. Pearl Harbor was bombed in December of 1941, and Hitler was trying to conquer Europe. World War II found all able-bodied Americans, and in college or not, they entered the war. Bob enlisted, and by the time he graduated boot camp, he was a U.S. Marine. Now, I've found that these veterans who truly were in combat or any theater of war just don't speak of it. It's grim. It's it's too real. It's, It's more real than real. It's in your face. Life and death, that's right there. And you're just a kid, basically. So life and death are more than just real to a young man. War leaves deep lasting scars. Bob was stationed on an aircraft carrier in the Pacific Theater. And I know that Bob had been present overlooking the bay in the Battle of Iwo Jima. The five-week battle saw some of the fiercest and bloodiest fighting of the Pacific War. There were a lot of military deaths on both sides, and the water in the bay turned a deep, bloody red. Another time, a hurricane at sea forced giant waves up and over the deck of the carrier, which pitched back and forth in Bob. My dad was one of the seven men which were swept off the deck and into the raging Pacific. As Bob fought his way up to the surface of the raging waves, he looked up immediately and he saw a life preserver thrown to him, near him. He grabbed it. He said it was only about two feet away. Now that day, my dad, Bob, he was the only Marine recovered at sea. The other six perished. They just disappeared, I guess. Life or death came quickly in a war setting. 
Now, way before I was born, my father retold these stories, not to me. Of course, I wasn't born yet. He retold these stories only once to my mother. Quietly, she said, and with little fanfare. And the year my mother passed, just before, she felt she wanted to share some of these personal experiences of my dad with me. She wanted me to know what had happened to him. These are private stories, and I have kept these stories to myself until now. My dad would have never shared them with me or anyone else. They were private. He kept them to himself. It, it was a generation of people of a greater humility and that strong and silent post-World War II integrity. Bob realized that some things were so hard to revisit that sometimes it was just better to keep them internal and not share them. I mean, I, I could never imagine what the soldiers in any theater of war went through. So any type of active engagement in war changes a person. However, when I asked my dad about World War II when I was a youngster, what was it like, Dad, the war? Typically keeping the dark parts hidden, he'd shrug and say, well, we played a lot of cards. And he'd say, Almost every time we had a furlough, we would head inland on the west coast and play baseball with the locals. A local baseball game. I pitched and I played third base on occasion. One thing about war was that it was a great equalizer. From the famous people to the unknown people, common everydayers, they all seemed to unify, fighting to keep America free at that time. It was at one of these pickup games where my dad played baseball with an idol that he had at the time, Ted Williams. That was his baseball idol. He told me, I walked on the field that day. We all took positions. And this guy played left field and man, he ran down batters and caught anything that was hit to the field. Then he threw out runners at all the bases. He, he, he caught everything that was hit to the field. And then he threw out runners who were off the bases, or he threw to the plate to ding a lazy runner heading home. It was Ted Williams. I couldn't believe it was Ted Williams. I remember his face, and boy, did he whack that ball when he was pitched to. Nobody could pitch to him. He just hit everything. He was a good guy that day, and he really loved the game. You could tell. Now, my dad never got to pitch to Ted Williams because they played on the same team, but he soon realized what a pro in baseball really was like. And it was at that time he concluded that he might have been good enough to pitch for the University of Missouri, but he may not have that level of talent to be a pro. When the war ended, my dad, Bob, set his sights on another profession focus, coaching, teaching, and educational administration. It was at that time when he met the best mentor, the best friend and life partner he could ever have, my mother. After getting married, it's true, my mother, was, they were a great team together, lots of laughter all through their lives. 
and um, just very good together. After getting married, my dad had been on so many ball teams by that time, he had acquired a lot, 20, maybe 30 baseball uniforms, and he kept them all. My mom soon got tired of keeping all his uniforms and drawers and closets. So one day my dad comes home from work and discovered that my mom had repurposed the uniforms into a giant circular hook rug. I'll be doggone. There was a pause and he, he just grinned at her. And from that day on, every day, he stepped on his old uniforms. Every morning when he was crossing the living room of their first apartment, that rug stayed in his life until his passing in 2016. As for me, I always loved baseball. However, something really unusual happened to me. While growing up, I did not play Little League Baseball like all my friends did. I played in hundreds of, I think, hundreds of pickup games in my lifetime in the neighborhood and at school and things. But my father did not want me in league ball. Why? Well, he had grown up in a setting where parents often took it upon themselves to berate their own kids from the stands in front of everybody or badmouth other people's kids on the field when they erred in some way or another. Sometimes these parents even went after the coach. There were bad sports, bad role models. My dad told me, If I could find a good Christian league for you where everybody behaves themselves and the parents, you'll get to join that. It never happened though. And because of that, I always kind of felt I would have enjoyed the sport of baseball, but just never got the necessary experience. I did play football and did track. Why did I want to play so badly? Well, what kid doesn't want to play baseball when you have a team close by, two teams close by, the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Cubs, they were right here in the mid-Midwest. People like, uh, as I was growing up, Ernie Banks, Billy Williams, Louis Aparicio on the Sox, stealing bases all the time. It was great. So growing up for me from ages 10 through 14, after dinner, in the safety and the warmth of many late summer evenings, for 20 minutes to an hour each night, every night after dinner, I asked my dad to go out to the alley for a catch. You know, catch, throw the ball back and forth. The first time my dad was surprised and he responded agreeably, almost anxious. Now the alley, the alley was much like a place the, the major league pitchers warmed up prior to a ball game. It's called the bullpen in, in major league. We threw a Rawlings major league hardball to each other and we both had broken in mitts with the pocket worn in just perfect. Now these days, just the smell of leather takes me back to those sunny late summer evenings with my dad. The alley. The alley. That was the place. It was the place my dad and I threw to each other. Had a catch. We threw to one another every day. Here's where a father met a different version of his son. Here's where we began to talk about form, motion, and delivery. Here's where I learned my dad's fastball. I learned it. And as the muscle memory slowly came back to his southpaw pitching arm, I worked on strength and speed and accuracy for many years. Here's where a father and a son bonded. Here's where my dad and I 
found out we had a very similar form when we threw. Dad, how do you throw like that? Here's where quite a few stories of my dad's past playing ball found their way back to the surface. Here's where my dad admitted he had been headed in a bad direction in his youth. And he never really wanted me to know that. But he had an uncle named Uncle Paul, who I apparently was named after. And his mom, giving him that stern structure, just barely kept him on the straight and narrow. He had problems controlling his hyperactivity, sitting still. And I recall saying to my dad, you know, you're really, you're really calm now, Dad. I, I, I don't ever remember seeing you hyper or fidgety or jumpy. You said, still, what happened? So what changed? Dad stopped the back and forth ball throwing at that point in the alley behind the house. As he carried the Rawlings hardball in his mitt, he walked toward me with his head down and a barely noticeable accommodating smile shone on his face. When he got to me, he put his arm around my shoulder. Humbled and quiet, he said, well, there was a war, you know. It took me quite a few years to understand what he meant by that, but he was so focused, almost in another zone when he said those words to me, okay, that I knew not to question it more. Okay. You know, when you're a child, you have no idea what war is, what loss of life is what life is like in a battle situation, what it's like to be alert every second of the day and night wondering if it'll be your last. My dad, his mentors and family members had all contributed to his success after the war as well. But none of these people calmed him down, that hyper child and my father liked the reality of existing in a non-stop stress and fear during wartime. I guess that you learned really fast that you must sit still, be alert, and be on guard. Just one moment, just one second of not being alert, aware, uh, you're not on guard, one bad move, and it could be your last. By summer's end, I had finally Throwing at least a couple of quality, well-controlled surprise knuckleballs slash curveballs. I will never forget the look on my dad's face when the ball whistled in to be caught and then abruptly shot right. He quickly adjusted at the last moment and he caught the ball. And then he looked up at me quickly and said nothing. But from the look on his face, he was proud. And I always hoped he might think I was able to play at his level back when he was in high school or while he was in the service. I don't remember why we discontinued having our father-son catch after dinners that next year. Maybe it was me and maybe it was him, I don't know. I'm not sure and I don't remember. But I'm not sure that my father ever really knew how much that time spent with me meant to me. For just 20 minutes to an hour, it was just the two of us connecting, swapping stories and learning a skill at the same time. People always say things like, 
If you could go back in time and relive a moment from your life, what would that be? Well, for me, it would be having a catch with my dad in the alley back when I was 14. One more time. So, what did we learn today? Well, what did I learn? Well, without having his father around, my dad, in the picture, my dad filled his early life searching for a strong, positive male role model for himself. He wanted to live life on the straight and narrow, but it wasn't going that direction. Life had thrown my dad a curveball, life without a father. But he learned quickly that you can't control those curveballs life throws at you. So you have to learn how to adapt or how to change. And sometimes you have to learn how to change quickly. So that curveball doesn't take you down the wrong path. The war, World War II had redirected my father. It not only calmed him down, but it redirected him to the straight and narrow. And as far as I know, he lived a good and honest life. My dad rebuked bad childhood behaviors. Because childhood, we remember as a strong memory. Think back to your childhood. And as long as we all live, I can say this, a man never gets so old that he forgets what it was like being a young boy and practicing a lifetime to perfect that curveball. <laughs> For life's learning curve, I'm Paul Hart. Subscribe to Life's Learning Curve at lifeslearningcurve.org and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser. Episode 55, The Curveball of Life's Learning Curve podcast was put together by producer Sebastian T. Dog, executive producer Paul Hart, technical director Heidi Cerner, editor Paul Richards, audio and sound as always, Riley Hart, Production Manager, Butch Gregor. Studio Equipment Manager, Don Compton. Find us on Facebook and listen to us just about everywhere podcasts are heard these days. Visit our website, lifeslearningcurve.org, and subscribe. Read a blog or shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. This episode has imaginative voice recreations. To protect the privacy of others, some names have been changed and characters conflated. The Curveball, episode 55. I'm Paul Hart, and we will be back soon with more stories from Life's Learning Curve.